You're listening to a podcast by Abide Church and Pastor Dan DeBell in Tulsa, Oklahoma. We pray this podcast helps you live, love, and look more like Jesus this week. Enjoy the message. And if I haven't had a chance to, to meet you yet, I know we have quite a few new faces uh, in the room Today, if I haven't met you yet, my name is Dan DeBell. I'm the lead pastor here at Abide. So glad you've joined us today. Um, I believe God, we're in a, a special season in our church. God's doing just an exciting thing and uh, a lot of new faces, a lot of uh, new people showing up every single Sunday. And so, um, man, before long, we're going to uh, have to make some changes at a service or something. So God's good. That's a good problem to have. Amen. Um, hey, I want to remind you, for the, the past uh, year or so, I, I kind of want to keep talking about this just so people, if you've missed a few weeks, you just so you're up to speed. We've been in a giving campaign called God's House, Our Home uh, for this very reason. You may look around and there's not a lot of empty seats and it's, it's a little crowded in here. And uh, last week we even had people sitting in the, the, the hallway because we ran out of seats in here. Um, we've been in this giving campaign and we're just believing for a space of our own. We've been leasing this space here at Global Ventures. And so we don't own this space, but we're leasing it. And uh, man, we need some space for uh, for us in here, but mainly we need some space for our kids' ministry classrooms. And so um, we we need to expand and we need to, to go. And so we've been raising money, and uh, we have over a hundred thousand dollars in our house fund so far. And so that's awesome. Yeah, that's amazing. And uh, and so we're just trusting God, Lord. What's our next step? And so we, we're having some meetings. Uh, I was able to sit down with uh, with the bank and, and the the president, and the vice president of the bank this past week, and just kind of share our story where we're at. Uh, I have a couple more meetings coming up this this week with some other pastors that um, are uh, just there for us, just some wisdom, a few steps ahead of us and some of the stuff that they've done and getting a permanent space. And so it's an exciting time at Abide Church. Amen. Um, one of the things I believe in um, that God's put on our heart, and this is, you know, at least where we're at right now, and as we walk this out, it might change a little bit, but we're truly believing that God has a space for us, and I'm believing that God has a, a church building for us that may even be a existing church building. Um, I don't know about you, but it breaks my heart to see church properties be sold to anything that are not that's not the kingdom, <laughs> that doesn't belong to the kingdom. To see a church property either be torn down or somebody else move in and make it a restaurant or something else, I'm like, man, people sacrificially gave their tithe and their offering to build that building, and it still has life in it. There can still be fresh life and revival in those older places. And so uh, I don't know what that means just yet, but um, we're, we're going to be just walking out all options. And as we do, I'll try to keep you updated as much as we can. But if you would like to give uh, to our house fund, or maybe just tithe and offering, there's different ways you can do that on the screen. Um, well, our house fund is, we're keeping it open, even though we reached our goal of getting $100,000 by the end of last year. We're just going to keep it open because, um, as you know, it takes money to do things, right? And so if you want to continue to give uh, towards that, it's available. I'm so thankful for your generosity, but we truly believe uh, here to buy church, we like to say our best days are our next days. And so uh, it's a little bit catchy and easy to remember, but we wholeheartedly believe that God's doing something fresh and new, and uh, it's an exciting time to be at Abide. So, uh, hey, today, let me get into my message. Today we are continuing in a series that we call are calling Multiply. Multiply. And uh, towards the end of October, November, I was just praying, Lord, what do you have for us coming in this new year? And one of the things that God put on my heart was this word, multiply. There was a few words, but this is really the main word that God put on my heart. And this isn't necessarily a word for the year, but it's more so a foundational word that we can build off of for this year, if that makes sense. And so um, week number one, we talked about devotion. We talked about being committed, loyal, unmovable. We talked about the story in the Old Testament of wrestling with God and man, and we talked about how we, uh, we need to develop devotion. Week number two, we talked about uh, desperation. 
and how we talked about how desperation leads you to prayer and watch it move the heart of God. If you missed any of those messages, go back and listen to them. They're on YouTube or on our podcast. Today, though, we're going to talk about determination. Everybody say determination. We're going to talk about determination. It means this, firmness of purpose, resolute, or moving in a fixed direction. I love that. Moving in a fixed direction. This is where we're going. We are confirmed, resolute, firmness in our purpose. This is where we're going. Our key passage today is found from 2 Kings chapter 13. So if you have your Bible, you can go to 2 Kings 13. You can follow along with me there. Today I'm going to read from the New King James Version. But 2 Kings chapter 13, let me read this story and then we'll kind of break it down and talk about it. It says this, 2 Kings 13, Elisha had become sick with the illness of which he would die. Then Joash, the king of Israel, came down to him. He wept over his face and he said, Oh, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and their horsemen. And Elisha said to him, take a bow and some arrows. So he took himself a bow and some arrows. Then he said to the king of Israel, put your hand on the bow. So he put his hand on it. And Elisha put his hand on the king's hands. And he said, open the east window. And he opened it. Then Elisha said, shoot. And he shot. And he said, the arrow of the Lord's deliverance and the arrow of deliverance from Syria. So you must strike the Syrians at Aphek till you have destroyed them. Then he said, take the arrows. So he took them. And he said to the king of Israel, strike the ground. Strike the ground. Everybody say, strike the ground. So he struck three times, and he stopped. And the man of God was angry with him, and he said, you should have struck five or six times. Then you would have struck Syria till you have destroyed it. But now you will strike Syria only three times. Now, a very unique story here in what we're talking about, but I'll give you some context so we can understand it. When we look at the Old Testament, one of the things we realize is that we can look at these Old Testament stories and we can see the principles of God. Yes, this was a specific story for specific humans at a certain time, but there are principles in the spiritual realm that we can see and we can learn from, and the things of God never change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So the principles of God can be applied to our lives looking through the lens of Jesus at these Old Testament stories. So we're going to talk about it. Joash, uh, the king, he was actually a wicked king by this point. He didn't start out that way, but at this point, he was a wicked king. He was raised in the temple until he was seven years old, and he was instructed by the priests. It's important to note that Joash was not a, uh, he was not a worshiper of false gods, but he was actually a false worshiper of the true God, if we could say it that way. He didn't necessarily go out for the false gods, but he was a false worshiper of the true God. He had begun to stray from who God had called him to be, anointed him to be for that time. Joash was concerned in this story that the true strength of Israel was about to depart from this earth with the death of Elisha. That's why Elisha gives him this illustration of faith, shooting the arrow. And we'll get into that in just a second here, shooting the arrow. The king, he was distraught, obviously, is what we see in the story. He was distraught because his hope was in a person and not in God and God alone. How many times can we get into that? Our hope is in a person, a uh, boss, a position, uh, a candidate, uh, whoever it is. Our hope is in a person rather than is our hope truly in God and God alone. If it's not in God and God alone, we will be let down and we will find ourselves just like Elisha, distraught and wrung out before we know it because our hope is in the wrong place. At the end of the story, or at the end of this passage, he says, strike the ground. 
interesting verbiage here. A lot of times we think of that, and we think of him grabbing a bundle of arrows maybe and even just hitting the ground and striking the ground. But as we look at it in context, and as we look at many of uh, theologians believe what he was actually doing is he was striking the ground with more arrows. So he shot one prophetically saying, this is the direction we're going. Then Elisha says, grab more arrows and strike the ground, meaning continue shooting out the window and striking the ground with those arrows. And so now that we understand the concept of what's going on here and who we're dealing with, point number one is this, determine to overcome complacency. And we're talking about determination here. So we have to determine and settle it in our heart. I'm going to overcome complacency. That's what I'm going to be committed to doing here, committed to doing. So let me go back and reread a few of the verses here so we can understand the context. So 2 Kings 13, back to verse 18. It says, then he said, take the arrows. So he took them and he said to the king of Israel, strike the ground. So he struck three times and he stopped. He struck three times and he stopped. And the man of God was angry with him. And he said, you should have struck five or six times. Then you would have struck Syria till you have destroyed it. But now you will strike Syria only three times. This is a prophetic picture many times of what we fall into as believers, even in 2024. And it's this, sadly, most people are satisfied with half of the breakthrough that God is inviting them into. Let me say that again. Sadly, most people are satisfied with half of the breakthrough that God has invited them into. I was talking with a friend this past week, and he was just sharing some stories of, of God's goodness and how God's been faithful to them. And as I was talking with him, he, he shared uh, a few stories, but one of them that stuck out to me that applies to this today is specifically several years ago, he was going through a very tough time financially and uh, divorced and ha he had uh, several kids. And as they were, he was going, they had no money. They were strapped. And so he wanted to do something special for his kids. And so he went and he scrounged up like $13 worth of change. And he was going to get a couple Happy Meals and he was going to go to the dollar theater. And uh, a couple Happy Meals, he was basically going to eat whatever they didn't eat. That's where they were at. And so as they were going, he was taking his kids and they were driving. And as they pull into the parking lot, they see dollar bills blowing across the parking lot. I mean, that's a good day, right? Come on, somebody. <laughs> dollar bills blowing across the parking lot. So he throws it in the park. He gets out and he begins to grab as many dollar bills as he can. He's just chasing them down, running around. He looks over and he sees another guy who's doing the same thing, grabbing a bunch of dollar bills. There's money flying around. Let's get this, right? And as they gather it all up, He's looking at it, and the other guy walks up to him, and he says, hey, I have your money. And he looks back. My friend looks back at him, and he says, that's not mine. I just saw money flying around, so I'm grabbing it. And so the guy said, okay, and he turned and walked away. My friend goes back to his truck, and as he gets in his truck, he begins to look through, and he had 13 $1 bills, exactly what he had scrounged up for and change. But it was in the, that moment and over the next several days and years even that God revealed to him some uh, two principles in that story. The first one is that as he was scrounging all of that up and as he was going is that God cared. He cared. But here's the big one. As he pulled up and he saw the, the money blowing, God spoke to him and said, that was your blessing. And what happened was that other human walked up and said, hey, I have your money. And he said, that's not mine. And then what happened? He turned and walked away. And God revealed to him years later, that was your money. That was your money. 
I was giving it to you through him. And I think how many times does that apply just exactly to this? Not necessarily always with cash because it's easy to say yes to cash. But sometimes in the spiritual realm, God is saying, I have your blessing. I have that provision. I have an opportunity. I have something for you to do. And we say, that's not mine. I'm doing my own thing. I'm just kind of barely making it. We've always been tied on money, so I don't know why I would walk that opportunity out. You know, that's just kind of outside my comfort zone. And how many times do we say, that's not my blessing, and God's saying, I'm, I'm giving it to you. This is your blessing. And man, from this moment on, his perspective changed for everything, for how he ran his business, for how he approached work. He began to look for my blessing. Where's my blessing at? Where's, where is it coming from? And this is what happens. I think Judd Wilhite, pastor, he said it this way. He said, a familiar captivity is more comfortable than an unfamiliar freedom. Let me say that again. A familiar captivity is more comfortable than an unfamiliar freedom, meaning God is always inviting us to more, saying, I have more for you. I have depth for you. Would you get in this thing? Would you grow with me? And as you grow, you're going to experience things in your life that you've never experienced before. And it's not always about having a bunch of money and a bunch of things, and it's all sunshine and, and, and rainbows and unicorns all the time. That's not it. There's a depth, though, that God wants to do in here that he's inviting us to. But so many times we say, I don't know. I've never done that before. I've been walking with God my whole life, but I've never taken that step to trust him in that area before. And how many times are we limiting God saying, that's not mine. And he's saying, trust me. Am I not a good father? Trust me. Walk with me. Take my hand. Take this blessing. Take the next step and see what I will do. Some people, as crazy as this sounds, some people, you might know them, they like being miserable. They like being stressed. They like being sick. They like being so busy that their head spins. But I'm going to tell you something, that's not God's will. That's not God's will. Elisha says strike, and Joash does, but not enough for total victory. What is it? Partial obedience. Well, I did, but not enough. And I, it just makes me think of this. I think sometimes we tend to pray enough to ease our conscience, but not enough to make a difference. How many times do I pray enough to ease my conscience? Well, I prayed about it half-heartedly with my fingers crossed, hoping God moves. But again, if you go back and listen to the last two messages in this series, one of the themes is, am I pursuing God with a fire in my spirit, in my belly, to say, I won't stop until God's will is done in this situation, in my life, in my church, in my son's life, in my daughter's life. I won't stop pursuing, and I will go with a fire in my belly. You see, the king could have made excuses, though, right? He's shooting an arrow. And I think a lot of his excuses would be valid. We would say that's probably valid. But what we realize is that determined, if uh, people who aren't determined, they make excuses. People who aren't determined make excuses. What the king could have said, well, I stopped shooting because I didn't want to be presumptuous and ask for too much. But what do we say? Oftentimes we say, well, I stopped believing for that because I wasn't sure if God actually cared about that detail of my life. Same thing. He could have said, well, I stopped shooting because, you know, I'm just not a very good archer. But how many times do we say, well, I stopped praying because I'm not very good at praying. I don't really know what to say. I've said the same prayer so long. I don't really know. And then we stop. The king could have said, well, I stopped shooting because Elisha didn't help me more. He should have just told me what was going on. He should have put his hands on my hands again for the next shot and the next shot. He didn't help me. How many times do we say, well, if my pastor would just preach on this or do what I suggest or change that, then things would be different. 
the king could have said, well, I stopped shooting because I thought three was plenty. How many times do we say, well, I prayed once and nothing happened. It must not be God's will. The king could have said, I stopped shooting because I didn't want to get overexcited. And this one breaks my heart. Because so many times, what do we say? Well, I didn't want to ask for that because I didn't want to get my hopes up just to be let down one more time. You see, we can always look at these heroes in here and think that we have all the answers, but many times we do the same thing. Many times we do the exact same thing. I'm going to tell you something, church. When God invites us to take something by faith, we must receive it boldly and ask him, knowing that he's a great king, he is a giver who is honored by bold, reverent requests. Let me say that again. When God invites us to take something by faith, we must receive it boldly with confidence in faith, asking him, knowing that he's a great king, he's a giver who is honored. He is honored by bold, reverent requests. Look at scripture, Colossians 4, 2. It says this, continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Does that describe my prayer life? Earnestly, vigilant, that's what we're talking about here. Do I have a fire in here for the things of God? If not, what am I going to do to get that fire? How am I going to pursue God in such a way that it lights a fresh flame on the inside of me in my spirit to pursue him in a fresh way to see things come to pass? See, this is what scripture talks about, but so many times in comfortable American Christianity, if it's not easy, then we, then, then, then we can't do it. We're asking too much, right? When God's looking for people that are diligently coming after him with a vigilant prayer and earnest prayer. Hebrews eleven six says it this way, without faith, it's impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Does that describe my hunger in every day for my time in God's word? When I get up, do I have a diligent passion to read his word? If not, here's what's great. God has given us the gift of the Holy Spirit and I can ask him for help. Lord, give me a passion for the things that you are passionate about. And he will answer that prayer. But too many times I'm more passionate about a sports team than I am about getting in God's word. And I wonder why I'm not seeing breakthrough. Maybe if I get a little fire and I get a little passionate about what God has and I get determined to see it through and to fight for it in the spiritual realm, maybe things will begin to shift and show up and begin to change. Not that we're twisting God's arm to do what we want. No, I'm just saying, Lord, if you're passionate about it, I wanna be passionate about it. If you got a fire about it, Lord, I wanna be, have a fire about it in me until I see your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Personal determination to God and his word is the first step in overcoming complacency. How do I get past being complacent in my walk with God? I better be determined to follow God with everything that I have. It doesn't matter what it means I need to sacrifice in my life. I am determined to follow him. I am determined to know his word, be in his word, be a student of his word. If you don't know where to start, man, just start in the New Testament. Start in Matthew if you need to. Read a proverb a day. And I promise you that will be a spark that will turn into a raging flame on the inside of you if you ask the Holy Spirit. And it will consume your fire and your passion for the things of God. Point number two is this. Only got two points for you today. Point number two is this. Determine to keep shooting. Determine to keep shooting. And this is important because here's what happens. Life happens. 
How many times am I trusting God for something, believing for something? Hasn't happened yet. Haven't experienced freedom yet. Why would I keep praying for that and it hasn't happened in 10 years? Why do I keep trusting that God's gonna bring our prodigal son or daughter home when we've been praying for seven years and nothing's changed? Why would I believe that God's gonna meet that need when I've been praying and I've been seeking God, I've been doing the things, I'm serving, I'm tithing. Why, why, why would I continue to pray and believe God when it hasn't happened yet? The principle of the story is keep shooting. Let me show you. Let's, let's remind ourselves. 2 Kings 13, verse 17. And he said, open the east window, and he opened it. Then Elisha said, shoot. And he shot. And he said, the arrow of the Lord's deliverance and the arrow of deliverance from Syria. So you must strike the Syrians at Aphek till you have destroyed them. Then he said, take the arrows. So he took them. And he said to the king of Israel, strike the ground. So he struck it three times, and he stopped. And look at Elisha's reaction. And the man of God was angry with him. And he said, you should have struck five or six times. Then you would have struck Syria till you have destroyed it. But you will strike Syria only three times. Here's what we see. The arrows weren't meant. They were not meant to hit an enemy. It was meant to charter a prophetic course of action. He didn't shoot an arrow to strike an enemy down. He said, shoot it out the east window. It's a prophetic course of action. This is where we're going. It was common at this time for a commander to shoot an arrow into the enemy's territory to signify that the charge was about to begin, meaning it's on. We're coming. This is the direction we're going. It was a prophetic picture. It served as a visual command that now is the time to advance. And when King Joash had the opportunity to shoot the arrows, it most likely seemed to be a small thing to him. What are some arrows out a window going to do? I'm not even hitting somebody. It seemed small to him. It was a small action. He did not know that God's plan for a nation and his seemingly small actions were vitally connected. And that's what we miss. What's one more prayer gonna do? What's one more step of faith really gonna change after all these years? What's one more act of obedience really gonna change? He didn't understand he didn't connect the dots. That that small act had a huge ripple effect. And there, were an, there was a nation at stake from his small act of faith. Elisha said, open the window and shoot. The arrow in faith keeps shooting. I'm going to tell you something. Success in the kingdom of God is obedience. Let me say that again. Success in the kingdom of God is obedience. Let God handle the outcome. Too many times God is saying, he's looking for that partner. He's saying, man, trust me. Do what I'm asking you to do. Do the simple things. Do the little things. Shoot an arrow. Shoot more arrows. And I'll give you the victory. Doesn't mean they still didn't have to go fight. But he said, I'll be with you. Shoot the arrows. Cooperation is necessary. It's a necessary partnership to see God's kingdom come, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And one act of obedience, hear me church, one act of obedience in your life can affect the success of generations after you and it will change your family tree forever. You have no idea what one simple act of obedience in your life today, in your life this afternoon, one simple act, one simple decision to say, I'm, Lord, I'm trusting you. Lord, I'm gonna pray again. I'm gonna believe again. I'm gonna get in your word again. I'm gonna be devoted to you again. I'm gonna have determination in my heart again. I'm gonna follow you with everything that I have. You have no idea. The ripple effect for generations to come. 
And that's when we get the perspective of God. He's the God of Abraham, of Isaac, of Jacob. What's he, all, he says that so many times in the Old Testament. Why? He says, I'm a generational God. I go beyond your lifetime. Let's get the eyes off of me and my little life and say, what will this do for my kids and my kids' kids and my kids' kids' kids? What's this gonna do for generations in my family tree? What decision can I make in obedience to say, Lord, I trust you. It's our job to advance the kingdom in faith. But hear me, the level of our faith and the level of our expectation, that is the level at which revival will be poured out. The level of our faith, what he shot three times. He said, why did you stop? He was angry with him. Keep shooting, five, six, seven, keep shooting. Why'd you stop? The level of our faith is the level at which we will see revival poured out. I'm gonna tell you something, church. As for me and my house, we're not gonna be a three arrow household. As for me and my house, we won't be a three arrow household. I don't care what I see in the natural. Lord, we're gonna go five, six, seven. I'm gonna keep shooting until God's will is done on this earth in our life. As it is in heaven. But if we become complacent, comfortable, satisfied with who we are or where we've been in the past, then we have forfeited the opportunity to help lead revival in our families and in this region. If we become complacent, comfortable, casual, we forfeit the right to be used by God to, to do all that he wants to do in this region. Determination, what was the definition? Moving in a fixed direction. I love that because Jesus said this in Luke 9, 62. Jesus told them, anyone who puts his hand to the plow and then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. Meaning Jesus saying, let's go. <laughs> let's go. Are you with me? Put his hand to the plow. What does that mean? Let's go to work. Not follow me and do nothing. Let's go to work. Put your hand to the plow. Let's get after it. Plowing's not easy. It's tough work. That's the work of the kingdom. But we have got to get past a comfortable, casual American Christianity that says it's all easy button stuff. And God's looking for people who have determination and heart to say, I will go to work to plow the field. I don't care how hard it is. I don't care what I have to go through. I don't care how dark the valley of the shadow of death, but I'll go through it, Lord, because you're with me and I'm following you and I trust you and I'll see your goodness. But are you satisfied? Are you satisfied with your life where you're at spiritually? Are you satisfied with the church? I don't know about you, but I'm not. We have a few empty chairs, not much, but a few. But guess what? If I know and I have family members, friends, neighbors who are not following Jesus, and if you have that too, you better not be satisfied. If anything, to keep a fire in you and that's it. Lord, I have friends that aren't here. They should be and they don't know you. Help me keep a fire for them. Help us expand the church for them, Lord. We'll make room for them. Whatever we can do to help them, serve them, introduce them to you. Lord, we're gonna keep shooting. And I promise you that at Abide Church, we are going to keep shooting. We're gonna strike the ground until the oil of revival pours out in this region, amen? We're gonna strike the ground until the full weight of God's glory fills this place every single Sunday. We're gonna strike the ground until marriages are restored, prodigals come home, healing is released, God's will is done in this place, amen? We're gonna strike the ground until rivers of living water flow out and flood this region, bringing revival to the Bible Belt again. 
I've been saying this for the past several weeks and I'm probably just gonna keep saying it because I love it. Let's raise our kids and our grandkids in revival, amen? Why not? Why not? Let's, 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 by God's help, build a church that our kids love to attend. That the next generation doesn't know anything except revival, except God moving, except his presence showing up, except hearing his voice on a regular basis. Let's raise our kids in revival, amen? But the question we must ask ourselves is this, am I determined enough to pursue God until all of that comes to pass? Because life will happen. And you'll feel like, man, I felt great when I heard that message, but it's Tuesday afternoon. I'm a little hungry, I'm a little tired. I don't know if I feel like great anymore. Are you determined to keep going? When life happens, are you determined to keep going? And you may say, well, what can I do? You know, what can I really do? I'm gonna remind you, don't underestimate the power of a single prayer. Don't underestimate the power of a single text or an invite to church, what it could do. Charles Spurgeon said it this way. I'll put the quote up there. It said, he said, so there'll be some who think that hearing the gospel is a little thing. Life, death, and hell, and worlds unknown may hang upon the preaching and hearing of a single sermon. Man, I love that. Why? Because this is the only thing, the only book that's alive and active. It's the only book that's alive and active. And when we preach this, and we reveal people to this, this goes to work, not people's opinions, not a pat me on the back message. This will go to work in our lives and it will save us from things that God does not want for us. God said this in Psalm two, there's a prophecy and it says this in Psalm two verse eight, it says, ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. What's he saying? He's saying, God, he's saying ask, ask. Ask for the people to come into the kingdom. Ask me, ask me, ask me. God said, ask and I'll give you the nations. Church, I say, let's ask God to give us the city of Catusa. <laughs> let's ask God to give us the city of Claremore, Tulsa, Broken Arrow, Big Speed, Sand Springs, the Bible Belt, this region and beyond. Amen. It's harvest time in the Bible Belt again. Let's ask God to use us to bring many into his kingdom. Because I promise you, he's gonna use somebody. Why not us? Why not abide church? Man, we must determine if we're gonna see the kingdom of God multiply in our lives, in our families, in our church and beyond, we must determine to overcome complacency. And we must determine to keep shooting in faith no matter what, no matter what I face. Lord, we trust you, we're dedicated to you. All we want is for your glory and for your will to be done. And when we do that, it's game on. Let me pray. Lord, I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, that you are never changing, the same yesterday, today, and forever. So Lord, I thank you that as we look to your word, even in the Old Testament, you have principles for us, stories for us, that it is just as alive as the new. And so Lord, we believe it. We receive it, and we ask you to put feet to our faith, Lord, as we walk it out. Would you back it with your Holy Spirit power and confidence and boldness, Lord? And as we see you move in our lives, in our families, in our church, as we see the multiplication of your kingdom take place, Lord Jesus, we will be quick to say, look what God's done. It's not about us. It's not about us. Lord, it's all about you. 
we humble ourselves in your sight and we say, Lord, use us as best you can. Use us. We're willing. We're your servants and we're ready. We love you and we thank you for these things. Help us put it into action this week in Jesus' holy name. Everyone said, amen, amen. Thank you for listening to the Abide Church podcast. If you'd like to partner with us financially, or if you're in the Tulsa area and would like to attend our weekly gathering, you can check out AbideChurch.com.